Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website. That's carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcasts on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. The COVID-19 pandemic has truly turned our world upside down. And what we normally did day to day and week to week has been disrupted and in many cases stopped completely. Our charities, like so many other organisations, are facing a range of challenges, particularly in trying to continue to provide their needed services to those who depend on them. For this podcast, in a change from our usual format, I will be talking to a number of smaller charities about the work that they do and how they are coping and particularly how they are rising to the challenges caused by COVID-19. My first guest is Annabelle O'Keefe from the charity Look Good, Feel Better. Annabelle, could you tell us what Look Good, Feel Better do? Because maybe a lot of people might know what you actually do. And Look Good, Feel Better delivers skincare and makeup workshops for women going through cancer treatment. Before COVID-19, we hosted these in hospitals and cancer care centres. And we stopped delivering these workshops in the cancer care centres and the hospitals in early um, March. I was fortunate enough to be in one of our last workshops in a Dublin hospital. All of our workshops and one-to-ones as we're doing now are delivered by professional makeup artists. And in this particular workshop, there were nine women sitting around a boardroom table in the Dublin hospital. And in particular, one woman arrived early and she was wearing a dressing gown, so obviously a patient. She was, like many women, she was apprehensive in the beginning, um, even though uh, people self-select and they, they tell that they want to go to the, the workshops. I think it was probably just another appointment, another another thing on the treadmill of treatment. And so she was asking me lots of questions and I could see that she was apprehensive. So we went through the workshop and the workshop, what happens is every participant gets a cosmetics kit and in that is 15 pieces of cosmetic. And the professional makeup artist takes the participants through each piece of cosmetics, so that's moisturizer, toner, those kinds of things, foundation, eyeliner, all, all of those donated by the cosmetics industry. So it was a beautiful workshop. And in the end, the woman was brought back to the, the ward. And as she was being brought back, the nurse told me that she said in the six weeks she'd been in hospital, that it was the first time she smiled. And I suppose that's what we really do is, aside from the skincare and makeup techniques, We bring a smile to the faces of women going through cancer treatment. We help them with their mental health, self-esteem. We help them feel like when they look in the mirror, they look like themselves. Like many other charities, every organisation of business in the country, COVID-19 has completely disrupted the way we do things. What specifically has it meant for Look Good, Feel Better in terms of what have you had to do? So I suppose for us, like anything in life, any disruption, it's brought uh, out some good and uh, it's brought out some challenges for us. The first thing is that we needed to find a way to deliver our service in a safe way. So um, very quickly, we stopped doing our workshops in the hospitals and cancer care centres and we started doing virtual one-to-ones where we offered people the opportunity to have a private consultation over, we'll say, the likes of Zoom or WhatsApp or anything like that, and whatever they had themselves, you know. In terms of good things that have happened to us, we really struggled with volunteer training prior to this. Uh, We have 170 volunteers across Ireland in about 17 different locations. And before, we were always saying, because we're based in Dublin and 
with only two part-time staff, we're a very small organisation. We were always struggling with how to retrain volunteers in a face-to-face way. And of course, now we're all operating on Zoom as if it's second nature. And so I can't believe this was ever a question, you know. The second thing is the one-to-one private consultations that we're doing with people. We will continue to do this even when we go back to full service because we're able to reach remote areas. We're able to reach people in hospitals who wouldn't be able to make it to workshops and people who, for whatever reason, prefer a private consultation. We're also launching uh, virtual workshops now that will continue for the same reasons as well. In terms of the challenges, 50% of our fundraising, our annual fundraising, was lost in what would have been an incredibly busy fundraising time for us. April and May are key months for us. And the scale of our organization has reduced significantly. So we probably would have uh, about 80 women working with us within any month or 90 women. Now we have more like 15. So it's had a significant impact, although we anticipate Now that we're starting our virtual workshops again with the cancer care centres, that will scale up again. And the final good thing, I'll leave on a good note, we have uh, really enhanced our partnerships with other organisations. So, for example, Image Magazine are showing masterclasses on their online forum, image.ie. And the Marie Keating Foundation, we had never worked with them before. We're starting to work with them now. And the Irish Cancer Society, we're working with them in a different way to the way that we used to work with them. That's really amazing things that will carry on beyond this time. So despite, as you said, the three significant challenges that, you know, when you an organisation that's very much dependent on fundraising, but you've been able to manage to continue services and hopefully we'll be able to get some funds in from people that might be able to help you. But you're continuing to new ways of reaching your women and that's absolutely fantastic. And as you say, stuff that you would continue doing, so it has created new ways of reaching people, which is excellent. Yeah, it's really great. And we're trying new ways of fundraising. We're hanging on in there. We have trialed five different ways of digital fundraising on Facebook and on Instagram. And we hope that uh, we'll have enough time to set ourselves up in a different way. Thank you very much, Annabelle. And every success in, in keeping that vital service going for so many people. It's been great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Bye-bye. Bye. My next guest today is Fanula Sheehan from First Light. First Light, it was originally called the Irish Sudden Infant Death Association, is a charity established more than 43 years ago with headquarters in Dublin, but we provide services throughout the 26 counties. That's supposed to be very much focused on supporting families who experience the sudden, unexpected loss of their child. And we provide free professional crisis intervention and counselling services to the families. We do that, I suppose, as early as possible after the death of the child. It's provided by qualified accredited therapists. And they can, with, you know, it can, ha- I suppose, it's possible with the support of the therapy, the crisis intervention and so on, to help families to avoid prolonged grief disorder, you know, to accommodate their loss and to rebuild their lives. It's a very essential service because it is a difficult time for families when they have that loss. And the fact that you can provide a free service at a time of need can be a great help to people. Um, the COVID-19 has disrupted so many things. How has it impacted First Light and how you've been delivering services as a result of the shutdown and the lockdown? The, the core team is working remotely, but we're, we're managing very well with that. Um, we have a large number of outsourced therapists around the country who are accredited, qualified, registered with us, 
um, and so on. Our 24-7 hotline continues as before. What we've had to change is the face-to-face interaction that we would have had pre-COVID-19. So the home visit, for example, the face-to-face therapy that we would have done with the mum or the dad or sometimes the couple together or with the, the child, you know, who would be a surviving sibling. So what we've done is we have moved to online and telephone support. So we provide extended telephone contact with the family following a referral, which generally comes to us in a number of cases from frontline professionals. In other words, those who may be in the healthcare world A&E people, um, maternity ward personnel, it could be Gardaí or funeral directors sometimes. So following the contact from the frontline professional, with the permission of the family, we will make contact with the family. But that's done now over the phone and that's how we're providing the support. And if the family wishes to move on then to do therapy, it's available again online or via phone contact. And how have people finally adapted to this? Because, you know, if you said eight or nine weeks ago that we'd be doing the things we're doing through Zoom and other things like that, I would have been very sceptical, but what been the reaction from your client group? Yeah, it's been very, very positive. People really, really appreciate the, I suppose, being able to access a service, a specialised service like ours, that they find helpful to them. The telecounselling works well for many people, not for everyone, I'd have to say. So if it is the case that a family having had the extended telephone contact by the counsellor with them, you know, feel that they could benefit at some stage in the not-too-distant future following that through therapy, some will proceed to do it by telephone. Others will prefer to postpone it to a little bit later on. What we have made available, and we've very much stepped up our work on this front, and that is making available through a series of channels our newsletter, which is available in print and in MailChimp formats through our social media channels also. Information and guidance and advice, you know, on grief, on loss, on grieving in exceptional times. And that one has been in particularly well received. That's um, information put together by the Irish Hospice Foundation, with which we have shared with bereaved families and with the outsourced counsellors. And I suppose if you think about it, it is, first of all, for families who experience the sudden unexpected loss of their child, they have little or no time to say goodbye to their loved one. But in addition, during COVID-19, the traditional rituals that happen around a death, you know, the ability to pay your respects face-to-face for family and friends to come together to remember and to celebrate the life of the person who died. That's not available, really. And and bereaved families get huge comfort from that. But, you know, we all want to follow HSC advice and to self-isolate. So it is very much the case, I think, that suddenly bereaved families during the pandemic are feeling you know, the, the physical and the social isolation acutely. So maintaining contact, um, I mean, the therapy is available, but the additional contacts that we are making available, and as I said, we've stepped up on now through our communications, are being received, I must say, very, very fully. The open rates on the communications are very, very high, and the feedback has been very, very positive. So that's something that we're doing in addition to the therapy. That's excellent. And I know you would be very much dependent on fundraising. So how have you been impacted in your ability to fundraise during these weeks? Yeah, um, I mean, negatively, unfortunately. Um, We're in the situation where about half of the funds that we need to run our services are raised through events, through donations that come from the public, from trusts, from corporates. We found that a number of fundraising events that we would have received funds on foot of had been cancelled or postponed, possibly. Um, They may or may not resume this year. 
some trusts have closed this year because they just simply can't operate and review and, and assess their you know, applications properly without face-to-face contact. So it's, it's something that is um, very much in our minds and we're concerned about. Um, we are pursuing any and every opportunity <laughs> that we see I arising out there. And, and we have been, we've been very pleased, for example. I mean, the Community Foundation for Ireland has put a scheme in place and we've been successful under that, for example. But we, you know, well, we, that, we are concerned. Been trying to, uh, what did that allow you to do? Sorry for cutting across you there. But what what yeah. that funding were able to do with that? Yeah, I mean, what we're doing with that is, I mean, um, telecounselling has some limitations, um, and that we, I see that there's no doubt about that, and that's what the view of the team would be. But this is allowing us to do a revamp of the homepage on our website and to put a more comprehensive virtual counselling slash therapy facility for our counsellors and our service users in place so that the therapy can occur through video conference in a real-time way, but in a more effective way more securely than would be the case through Zoom, for example, okay. in, you yes, know, in full compliance with our GDPR policy. And it would be in a cost-efficient way as well. Excellent. So it's allowed you to do things differently, but also in addition, do you see yourselves continuing doing some of the new ways going forward when we ever get back to normal? Um, we do, we do. Um, I mean, we would see therapy being available through that facility now, which we're putting in place. We hope it will be in place within the next fortnight or so. That is an option for people, you know, continuing and going forward. The other advantage of that particular facility will allow more, I suppose, efficient and easier communication on a group basis with our various outsourced therapists around the country. So it has, you know, it will give us a number of benefits, both operationally and, and on the therapy side as well. That's brilliant. I really do appreciate your talking today, Fanula, and wishing you every success because I know from personally that this is a vital service in a very difficult time for a family. So hope you continue to rise to the challenge and hopefully people will continue to, to recognise it is a difficult time for charities and recognise that could do with a bit of help to continue to provide those great services. So thank you very much, Fanula. No, thank you. Delighted to, to share what we're doing with you. My final guest today is Patricia Toy from the Huntington's Disease Association. Huntington's disease is a rare neurodegenerative brain condition. It's also hereditary and it's caused by an expansion in the HD gene. Now we all have a copy of this gene but it's when the gene mutates that it causes the onset of the disease and it's a very challenging condition. Obviously it's neurodegenerative but there are physical cognitive and psychological symptoms so people would experience involuntary movements balance problems and then speech and communication difficulties, swallowing problems, and the thought process can be changed and some mental health symptoms as well. So it's very hard hitting on the person and on the family. And then on top of that, I suppose, each person with the condition has a 50% chance of passing it on to their children. So families often have two or three people in the family with the condition and sometimes carers might be caring for somebody over two or three generations. Um, And then because it's Registry, there is a danger of discrimination and people fear discrimination in getting insurance and mortgages and even employment. So there's unfortunately stigma attached to the condition as well. Some family members would describe it as having motion urine disease, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's at the same time. But I suppose for those conditions, there's a lot more awareness around them and, and they're understood and that bit more. Whereas with Huntington's, it's relatively rare and there are no dedicated 
dedicated clinics here in Ireland yet. I mean, there is some work in that regard, but they're not quite there yet. And so as an organisation, we provide information, support and advocacy to people with the condition, uh, to the family members, their family carers, and also health and social care professionals, some of whom wouldn't have come across Huntington's before. So they'd lack that kind of knowledge of the condition. And what has the COVID-19 pandemic meant for your organisation? Or more importantly, how have you been adapting to the situation? Yeah, well, I suppose most importantly, and, and sadly, some people with HD fall into the vulnerable category. And many people, I suppose, in the later stages of HD are cared for in care facilities and nursing homes. So two people who um, were in the later stages of Huntington's have died from COVID-19. And there are a number of people with Huntington's who are recovering luckily, but it is a very stressful time for families. You know, they're not able to visit their loved ones in in care facilities and I suppose sometimes people with Huntington's in the later stages they may have some cognitive impairments and also some you know suffer from some mental health symptoms they might not fully understand why for them perhaps they feel they've been abandoned Um, so it makes it all the more stressful and upsetting for their loved ones not to be able to get to see them but luckily some people are able to communicate via iPads and there's been a couple of people who luckily the associate we're able to fund iPads for in the past just because um, it it does aid communication so it's great that people have been able to talk to their family members over iPads and I suppose that that has been highlighted you know the the advantages of of that and I think families kind of are using it more when they can those are supports we have a family support officer she would spend a lot of her time meeting people on one-to-one meetings that's obviously now mostly done over the phone but there are no one-to-one meetings so a lot of it is over the phone or or by email providing support and information and then we also offer counselling to family members and people impacted by Huntington's unfortunately a lot of the counsellors are not providing services online but luckily some are so we've referred a number of people to counselling since COVID-19 and it's good that there are some services online and then unfortunately some of our events have been cancelled we would have regional support meetings in Cork and Limerick and Dublin which were due to take place had to be cancelled but they did take place over Zoom so that was a good way to connect with people. Obviously I suppose you can't really beat the face to face and and people getting to see each other. I think with Huntington's disease families are used to being isolated anyway. The nature of the condition means the person with Huntington's often doesn't like to be out in public. You know, their movement is impaired. They might feel that people are looking at them because they look like they're intoxicated or whatever. So people are used to being isolated and they really enjoy, I suppose, meeting up with other people who understand their condition. But but the Zoom meetings have worked well and um, I think people were delighted to be able to connect on some level. This week happens to be Awareness um, Week here in Ireland. There's an international kind of month of May is Huntington's Awareness Month um, but here in Ireland we, li- we asked buildings to light up this week and last night the mansion house looked beautiful apparently but there wasn't a lot of us there to see it we had planned to have another event there as well and that had to be cancelled but we've been using social media to share photos and some of our members did manage to get in and, and take some socially distanced photos outside which is nice and the Rock of Cashel also lit up so, so we'll share photos on social media and I suppose 
have tried to um, gain some awareness in, in that regard. Some of our um, family members and advocates uh, have taken part in online uh, meetings as well and online conferences. And uh, I've been, as, as the coordinator with the Huntington Association, I've also been um, taking part in meetings via Zoom, which is very useful to be able to do that. You said nothing replaces the face-to-face, but do you see you continue doing some of these new things once we get back to normal? You know, would you see video conferences and Zoom-type meetings being part of what you do or uh, another channel? Well, actually, yes, I think they are very useful in the sense that I mentioned there isn't dedicated HD clinic here in Ireland, whereas some countries would have several clinics. And so therefore, there isn't the kind of that level of expertise here. There are some, very few, I suppose, HD experts in Ireland via, via online Zoom and, and webinars and, and videos, I suppose, as well. We have been able to, and it's something that I suppose the association would have done in the past as well. We've tried to make you of international expertise and share that with members. But I think it's easier for people now to to be able to do that because perhaps they've become more familiar with technology yep. and they're more interested in looking at, you know, the information that we would have on YouTube and on our website and stuff. So I think it's a good way to share a kind of international expertise online. And, and, and that's certainly people are now more comfortable using it. So it allows yeah. you access to a much, a much greater reach in terms of, as you said, those clinics and that expertise that would, would have been very costly to try and get to Ireland. Absolutely. And I think more experts are willing to put up information like the Psychological Society of Ireland, for instance, has a good resource now online. And there's some other neurologists who've put up some tips on coping with your condition. So your neurological condition. So there's information there that's relevant to people with Huntington's as well. Um, And that's really good to see that, that there are so many kind of health professionals and experts willing to, you know, share information online and people can tap into it when they need it that the resource is there and we've been able to put some of that up on our website and it's it's available via YouTube and stuff so it's it's good to have that. And how have you been impacted by fundraising? Because you're an organisation that will be very much dependent on fundraising for delivering the services that you provide. What has it been like for you? Well, that's it, yeah. It, it has been very difficult, I suppose. We are a small organisation. Those were quite niche and a lot of family members would do small events for us, you know, social nights or tea dances or, or mini marathons and whatever. So a lot of those activities can take place now. We, we have an awareness walk usually in July. I'm, I'm not sure whether we'll be able to go ahead with that and people who are taking part in the mini marathon obviously that's not happening in June but there isn't an annual event it's for Huntington's Parkinson's and uh, motion urine disease called Sunrise Up Croke Patrick um, where people climb up Croke Patrick and it's a really lovely event in um, into June and this year they're actually putting that online so that's really good and it'll be interesting to see how that goes there is a couple of people core people in the UK I suppose who are from Ireland and they come back in the summertime to climb Croke Patrick and they do it for three charities so we're really delighted that they've made such a big effort to get it online and they're they're promoting it through social media and stuff so it'll be interesting to see how that goes but yeah certainly our, our fundraising is is down quite a bit well it's been brilliant talking to you and um and i'm wishing hundreds every success because it is a difficult time for a lot of charities and and particularly so with hundreds which is a particularly difficult and challenging condition for people that have it and their families so hopefully we will get through this pandemic and we'll come out the other side more informed and, and better equipped than we were so thank you patricia and thanks for coming Please. on this podcast thank you jeremy thanks a lot take care thank you for listening 
to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofól. Thank you.